CTSNet friends, my name is Joel Dunning. I'm here in London, as you can tell, with another action-packed podcast. Uh, we've got loads for you. Uh, we've got uh, articles on uh, repair or replace for an aortic uh, root in a dissection. Hans Schaefer's publishes a wonderful series of aortic replacements. Uh, we've got three brilliant videos, uh, total anomalous pulmonary venous drainage by our very own Sammy Syed, tricks for redo roots, and a really gory high dated cyst. So stay tuned, I'll explain while I'm here, and let's get going with the podcast. actually here on Windrush Day. Uh, in London we've been celebrating the Windrush generation 75 years ago. HMS Windrush came from Jamaica bringing 500 intrepid African Jamaicans to help rebuild Britain. Uh, many many more uh, shippings came across and these people then provide, provided uh, what is now our indigenous Jamaican African population that we were celebrating today uh, and it was wonderful to see everybody out in the beautiful sunshine here at Buckingham Palace. Uh, but we have got uh, a lot of cardiothoracic surgery to get through, so let's get straight stuck in. Let's tell you about some of our favourite papers for this week. So the first one that really uh, took my attention uh, was one in the Annals of Thoracic Surgery this month. It's called Aortic Root in Acute Type A Dissection, Repair or Replace. Um, this is by Bardia Arabkhani and Robert Klaus from Leiden University Medical Centre. And the question they were setting was uh, in an aortic dissection, uh, should you do a complete valve sparing root replacement or a bentals, or you should just replace the ascending aorta? So a more maximalist approach or a more minimalist approach? And uh, they looked through 299 patients, one away from 300 uh, from uh, 1992 to 2020. Uh, and what they found is that um, 10-year mortality was lower if you did more for the patient. And that was uh, do a bentals, do a valve sparing root replacement, but address the aortic root. Only 32% died um, in 10-year follow-up versus 52% uh, if you just did an ascending aortic replacement. Um, there was lower uh, reoperation rates. Well, that would go to, that would probably be logical, wouldn't it really? But it was 14% versus 23%. Uh, and uh, the, the early mortality was no different. In fact, the early mortality was 22% in the, in the just replacing the ascending aorta versus 15% in the root replacement group, partially reflecting uh, the fact that they have moved almost entirely over to the more invasive technique for reasons of getting longer tenure mortality. So well done them. Uh, what do you think? Uh, do you think you should just go in, replace the ascending uh, aorta and do nothing else? Or do you think you need to do everything? And do we need to have specialist surgeons doing this? Or, or can anybody uh, do this approach? Uh, I thought it was a really good paper. You can find it now in the uh, Annals of Thoracic Surgery this month. The second paper we've got for you today uh, is another really interesting paper. It's by Hans Schaefer's uh, first author was Christian Giebels, uh, and this is from Hans's unit in Saarland, University Medical Center in Germany. As you know, he's one of the world's greatest uh, aortic repair surgeons. Uh, and this looked at specific 
tricuspid aortic valves and compared when the valve uh, had uh, a fenestration in it versus prolapse for, due to myxomatous degeneration. Um, they looked through their full series um, and uh, this is a 20-year series and they found 237 patients having aortic valve repair um, and um, just specifically tricuspid valves. Uh, they looked at group A with fenestrations which they mostly closed with pericardial patches or suturing and the myxomatous generations that were degenerations that were prolapsing and usually they do a free margin plication or a triangular resection for those. Um, they had really really good follow-up. The 10-year survival was really very good for these patients so so the fenestration group was 85% uh, and the prolapse group 72%. Really remarkable was that there's only a 1.2% per year reoperation rate which I think entirely would be the same as a biological aortic valve uh, or maybe even more who knows you are you tell me. Um, so this was a really really good series um, the only thing they warned at is that the predictor of reintervention, the number one predictor, was having some regurgitation at the end of the operation. So what do you think? Do you think there is a role for aortic valve repair or should we just uh, replace these with biological valves? I've always wondered why repair hasn't taken off in aortic valves versus mitrals. I think it has something to do with how good our biological valves are really. Uh, mitral biological valves just don't last, do they? But aortic ones don't do too bad. Um, maybe it's that, maybe it's teaching and training, but uh, yeah, get back to me. Put a comment in the links below uh, or send us an email. But great paper and you can find that in the JTCVS uh, this month. The third paper we've got for you uh, is a little different. It was just a little update on a great hospital uh, that we have personal knowledge of in Ghana. Um, the UGMC, Uni University of Ghana Medical Center, uh, just had another landmark of, of its first pediatric cardiac catheterizations on three children. Uh, Global Heart Care came over to help uh, and uh, Nana Yao, who's a wonderful pediatric cardiologist who actually came from the UK and went over there, uh, was delighted to kick this off. Um, when we went to see her uh, in March last year in UGMC, it was really horrifying that she said she just has so many young children that cannot have surgery there. Uh, and uh, But the really good news is that, uh, that a team from Boston Children's Hospital are going to be going over there in October. Uh, we go over there three times a year with Emily Farkas and Cardiostart uh, and our own hearts of Ghana. And so this little article about uh, starting in children in Ghana is really, really great news. Um, this is part of our push for global health. We want to shine a spotlight uh, on the world, uh, make everybody realize uh, how deprived and desperate some countries are, how lacking in provision. There's only 150 heart operations done a year in Ghana. That's a population of 30 million people. Um, so can you get a team? Could you get a team out there to help? I'm sure it would be very appreciated. Um, so those are our three papers uh, that we've got for you in our jams. Uh, now I'll hand you over to CTSnet to tell you a little bit more about what's on the website uh, this week. Submissions are now open for CTSnet's annual innovation video competition. The competition rewards surgeons at the cutting edge of cardiothoracic surgery with a $1,000 cash prize, a prominent feature on CTSnet, and an exclusive interview with the judges. Submit your videos showcasing creative solutions, novel surgical approaches, and technological advances in CT surgery by August 31st, 2023 for a chance to win.
For more information, visit ctsnet.org slash innovation video competition. So we've got three fantastic videos for you today. The first one comes from Sammy Syed, our wonderful pediatric senior editor at Westchester Medical Center in the USA. This is an absolutely wonderful video. Uh, and uh, this video is on primary sutureless repair of obstructed totally anomalous pulmonary venous connection. Even if you're not a pediatric surgeon, it's a fascinating video. And it just shows a really interesting technique of how, how this is repaired. This poor neonate was transferred to him multi-system failure because the pulmonary veins were not draining uh, into the into the left atrium and left ventricle um, he puts them on ECMO does a CT scan does a lovely CT reconstruction showing the left and right pulmonary veins draining into a vertical vein this vertical vein goes all the way past the heart down into the portal vein uh, below the diaphragm so he gets the patient uh, into the operating room stenotomy, converts from ECMO to full cardiopulmonary bypass and starts cooling down to 18 degrees centigrade. And then a really neat display, he lifts the heart forwards and uh, it cuts the pericardium open and there is uh, this amazing uh, vertical vein that's, that the pulmonary veins are draining into. Um, he then uh, he then opens the pericardium, he opens then the left atrium uh, and then he starts suturing the pericardium and left atrium together. Halfway through he cuts open the vertical vein and sutures that widely open and then sutures everything closed. So basically you've got a big hole in this vertical vein connecting straight in to the back of the left atrium. Lovely job, really good demonstration. Uh, the other thing he then shows is that actually from that left atrium incision you see the ASD. Uh, so he widely cuts that open and then closes everything and then goes back to the right atrium to close that ASD properly. Um, and he also puts a four millimeter fenestration uh, just to take the, the stress off the heart to get a little bit of mixing. Uh, great video, really interesting uh, and fantastic. Even from a non-pediatric surgeon, I thought that was amazing. The next video we've got for you is also a really good hint and tip uh, if you're ever faced with multiple redo uh, aortic valve surgery. This is by Corrado Cavosa uh, and Ricardo Gurley and Aldo Andrea. Um, and they're from the Antonio Ibagio Hospital in Alessandria, Italy. Uh, what they had, listen to this patient, 75 year old. Um, he had an aortic valve sparing root replacement in 2014. Uh, unfortunately, they got severe regurgitation. So they then did a full root replacement with a composite graft uh, in 2018. Then in 2021, he had another third operation to remove some panus from one of the discs. And then he presented back again uh, with uh, severe um, aortic stenosis. Uh, and actually one of the leaflets uh, was uh, not moving. So they thought, oh my God, this is like fourth time redo. How can we make this simple? Uh, and the answer was, let's just go in, open the roots, uh, take out the mechanical valve leaflets and put in a biological intuity valve. But they'd never done this before. So they showed some beautiful pictures, but then they practiced it, uh, which I thought was really, really neat. Uh, they practice it basically on a, on a plastic bottle. Uh, they stitched a St. Jude mechanical prosthesis, the exact size that the patient had on. And then they took an exact intuity valve, four millimeters smaller, which fits perfectly. They then practice uh, breaking the mechanical prosthesis, inflating the intuity valve, and then putting it in uh, on a bottle. And then they show us 
them then doing it on the patient. Really, really nice job. The cardiopulmonary bypass time was only 59 minutes and cross clamping only 38 minutes. So I think a real benefit for the patient. Uh, worked really nicely and really good preparation uh, before doing a first operation that you're going to do. So great job, the team from Italy. And the third video we've got from you, having quite an international week this week, uh, having gone uh, America, Italy, and now we've travelled all the way over to New Delhi in India. I really love getting videos from all over the world, and this is a really fantastic video uh, by Harpreet Singh Minhas, um, Karthik Panasawisaran, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and Sanjula Vermani. Uh, and they have some unique operations and the unique operation they have is the excision of a cardiac hydatid cyst. Um, now a hydatid cyst is basically a tapeworm, a kinococcus granulosus, uh, and this tapeworm can get anywhere in the body and um, very very rarely it can get into the heart. So this team uh, found this patient, 37 years old, chest pain, shortness of breath, they did uh, an echo and a CT and they just had a huge multi-loculated massive hydatid cyst. 11 by 8 centimeters in size in the pericardial space. It was causing compression on the ventricles. It looked really bad. They had to operate. And also on the echo, it looked like it was extending into the anterior interventricular septum. Um, so which looked quite difficult to fix. So they took them to theatre. First of all, they put them on bypass, but with a beating heart, they cut open into the cyst. And wow, they certainly show quite a dramatic expulsion of the little daughter cysts all popping out uh, on the video. You've got to see that. Uh, and then as they were doing that, they did a TOE and they found there was still uh, there were still more cysts in the heart. So they opened the right ventricular cavity, they found the cyst, and then they found a big hole going from the right ventricle out into that cystic cavity. So they had to suture that. They then um, tested that to see that it was okay, sutured the pericyst closed, and the patient was fine. Uh, they had perioptive albendazole, and they tell us that the patient's doing uh, really well on post-operative follow-up. So really interesting video, very different, uh, and quite an eye opener. So coming to events uh, around the world, uh, remember in just a few days time, June the 29th, there's the Barts Autovascular Symposium. Sim, uh, they're celebrating 900 years of Barts being open uh, and uh, obviously not the cardiothoracic department, but, uh, but it's a really good uh, autovascular symposium. Duke Cameron's there, Michael Borger, Martin Cerny, Ang U, John Yap, really, really good. So check that out if you happen to be in London <coughs> like I am. The second uh, webinar, which is really great, we're very proud at CTSNet to be presenting a joint webinar, ECPR, Building the Team for Success. This is a joint webinar with the AIO Journal. Um, the editor-in-chief of this journal is Mark Slaughter, and he's one of the co-hosts, together uh, with Adam Protus and moderator Ashok Kumar. And uh, it's going to be really good. Indications, technical pearls, infrastructure, building an eCPR team, outcomes. But the best thing is you can register for it right now for free and watch it anytime, whenever you like, uh, either live or later. So it's going to be on Thursday, July the 13th at 2 p.m. US time, which is 8 p.m. in the UK. So click on the show notes below and you can register immediately, completely free. Uh, and if you're interested in that, enjoy a really great interactive webinar.
So that's what's happening around the world today. Just to finish up, uh, two things. Where is Diego? Diego, the world roving thoracic surgeon, has uh, left Germany last week and gone to Lisbon to do a really great Umix cadaver course for uniportal vats and rats. They did live cases, live cases, uniportal rats as well. Uh, and then if that wasn't enough that week, he also did a webinar for the AATS with Tom D'Amico, Gaetano Rocca and uh, Paula Ugalde. Uh, so great job, he's been busy and he's now going back to Germany to Potsdam where they're going to be doing their Uniportal Vats and Rats course on the 29th to the 1st of July. And finally, I thought, uh, what should we do for an honourable mention in this uh, day of Windrush Day? Well, I thought across, it's 75 years since Windrush, but it's actually the 80th anniversary um, of the Blaylock Tausig shunt. And this is very appropriate because um, a lot of people uh, have highlighted also that the Windrush generation was not treated as well as it should have in the UK and that's really quite analogous to uh, Vivian Thomas. Uh, so as some of you may know Vivian Thomas uh, he was uh, from very humble beginnings he was in fact a humble carpenter set. he was uh, African-American and he really wanted to be a doctor he was clever as well but he wasn't able to do that so instead he took a job in the animal labs in the John Hopkins uh, University Hospital uh, and that was the same time when Helen Torsig asked uh, Dr. Blaylock, could you help uh, with blue, blade, blue babies? And Blaylock went to the dog lab um, and then Vivian Thomas created hypoxic circulation models. Uh, Vivian Thomas then did over 200 operations on dogs working out how we can mix the blood supply from subclavian to, to the pulmonary artery and created uh, what we have today, the Blaylock Tausig shunt. Uh, this was marked massively around the world. Uh, it was heralded as a massive uh, treatment um, of pulmonary stenosis with pulmonary atresia, uh, but he wasn't at that stage uh, recognized. Uh, it took 30 years before he was finally awarded an honorary degree. And of note, I didn't actually know this, but now officially a BT shunt is called a Blaylock Thomas Tausig shunt. So uh, that's our honorable mention today, uh, Dr. Vivian Thomas, the African-American. So from here in United Kingdom, uh, it's myself, Joel Dunning. Thank you very much for watching all the way to the end and uh, do tune in. Uh, I think we're going to have a little mini break. We're going to have a little recorded mini session because it is Independence Day over there where you celebrate throwing us out of America. Congratulations. Uh, and then we'll come back with a standard podcast week after. Thank you very much for watching.